is your self-criticism based in reality or is it based on what you've been told you need to be? It's not like it's not like one day you're going to feel like, oh, here I am on top of the world. I'm super confident. Having an actual person with me who sees me through her eyes and who is emulating everything I do has really taught me how to how to love myself, you know, for myself and for her. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here. And now, on to the show. Welcome. (laughs) That was like a little song. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Hi. I'm Jess. I'm the host of this podcast. I'm a corporate strategist, a working woman who is quite passionate about talking and podcasting and interviewing women about all of the things that we encounter in our professional lives. And today's conversation hits on a couple of topics that are ones that I haven't gotten into that much yet on the show, but which have been really present for me and I think might also be very helpful for you too. I'm going to keep this intro brief because this is a good, long, juicy interview. And today's guest, I would describe her as wildly inspirational. I feel like I'm saying this every week constantly because I'm so lucky to be able to talk to these incredible women, but she really radiates a certain strength that I think you might be very inspired by, that I was very impacted by in a positive way. And we hit on a lot here. As usual, this is one of those kind of long, deep, winding conversations that I absolutely love. But one of the things that we went into is loving yourself and being nice to yourself and figuring out how to shift and adjust and soften your relationship with yourself, which I think is so important, so challenging. And for those of you who identify as being go-getters and high achievers and you want to show up strong, I think like many of us want to, I think this can be hard. I think this can feel like a paradox where we're wanting to figure out how to be self-loving and kind and compassionate towards ourselves while also being strong and showing up in the world strong. And I think that that's a very difficult thing both to even describe, but to figure out how to do in our lives. And I loved hearing today's guest, Leonella's perspective on that. We also talk a lot about what I would call discernment. And this is something that came up for me in a huge way at the very start of my career. So many of us are trying to build confidence and trying to show up with a bit more strength, a bit more boldness. And I think we look to our environment around us to give us cues, to help us do that, to give us feedback. But as women... Often the feedback we receive isn't so helpful. We don't always receive the right kind of guidance that we need. The advice that we get in our workplaces isn't always good. It's not always high quality. 
And something that has been really helpful for me over time is to really separate myself from the idea that everyone around me knows exactly how I should be. And building faith to trust myself and to really like get in touch with my own inner compass of what I wanted to achieve professionally, what felt right to me in terms of how I show up and what it looks like for me to be strong and confident at work. I had to learn to filter out what other people were telling me that wasn't always true to who I was to help me get closer and closer to what that looked like for me. And that is not an easy thing to do. That is not an easy or straightforward process. And you'll hear so much wisdom from Leonella today on how that has shown up for her in her career and her process of connecting to herself and how she wants to show up and what feels right for her. And it was very also beautiful and touching in a deep way to hear how having her daughter really changed that for her. This was a wonderful conversation, very honest, very transparent, filled with wisdom and insight. I think that you're going to love it. And with that, let's meet Leonella. Hi, Jess. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Um, This podcast is an amazing platform for working women, and I'm thrilled to be here. So my name is Leonela Vacaro Padron. I am now a senior attorney. I've been working in big law for about eight years and a half. My focus has been from the beginning on transactional matters. And I ended up specializing in um, financial transactions uh, with a focus in project finance and just general projects. Wonderful. And we're going to go back to the very beginning of your career. I love talking about early careers. It's one of my favorite topics. And I wanted to ask you, what was tough for you at the very beginning? Literally everything. Like when I entered the big law world, just to give you a little bit of context, I'm I'm from Puerto Rico, born and raised, went to high school there. As I'm sure you know Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens, but in a way, I was an immigrant in mainland U.S. I'm the first professional in my family. I come from a very, very humble background. I, I ended up being able to come to mainland U.S. basically because I got scholarships for financial aid. So to summarize, when you enter big law, it's really a white shoe environment where not everybody, but the majority of people are, you know, generate and have generations of attorneys in their families or, you know, have professionals. So for me, just being in that environment and on top of everything, having absolutely no clue what a transactional lawyer in a firm does, because law firms are notorious for focusing their curriculum more on like litigation. I was just incredibly overwhelmed. I had I had no idea what to expect. I, I felt like I didn't fit in. So it was challenging and, and it was even harder because there were very few people that looked like me in the senior ranks. And by that, I'm referring to women, immigrants, first-generation professionals from humble backgrounds. So, so I felt a little bit lost at the beginning and quite frankly, intimidated, which was a new sensation for me. <laughs> That's really interesting. Do you feel like you reached a point where some of that started to evolve into greater confidence? Like, what did that look like for you? It was definitely a journey. Um, I think it took me a long time because I found confidence when I finally felt like I had honed my craft. And that took years. It took years to, to really master the subject matter that I work on. 
But once I felt like I really mastered it and, you know, I, I know that that had time, that time had arrived because for example, our clients would start reaching out to me directly instead of the partners. Um, or I started managing the transactions pretty much by myself with the partner there as a consultant to run big picture ideas. But I was the one managing the team. I was the one the client called to give the matter to. And at that point, I realized, you know, I know what I'm doing. I know the value that I'm adding. And that gave me confidence. But it was definitely a journey and it took many, many years. It's so refreshing. And I think it's so important to be talking about the fact that this can look like a multi-year process and it isn't always an overnight thing. Because I think a lot of times, you know, you, you hear the podcast or you hear the thing or you do the workshop and you think, okay, I should be transformed right now. And it's so refreshing to hear that. And as you kind of evolved into this phase of feeling more confident and solid in yourself, did you ever have like old old Leonella thoughts kind of coming back? And what has that experience been like as you've stepped into this larger version of you professionally? I definitely did. Um, You know, the way that big law works is that you spend, let's say it used to be eight years, but now that, that we've had the great recession and with the situation, the period has gotten longer, but let's say it's about a eight to 12 year period where you are an associate and your junior associate, you're basically at the bottom of the pyramid. You're at the mercy of the mid-level associate, the senior associate, the partner, the client. And you're just kind of given a very specific task and it's hard to see the big picture. And as you progress, you get to a point where hopefully if you are on partner track, you really do have to have someone who wants that to happen for you. And I'm, I'm at that stage in my career. I was at that stage in my career as of yesterday. And that, that was challenging because I went from, from feeling for a few years, like, I know what I'm doing. I'm in control. Um, clients call me. I can control pretty much my career to being in a situation where no matter what I did, I needed that sponsor. And so when you're in an industry where, as I mentioned before, there's very few people in the ranks of that could be your sponsor that doesn't look like you, that you really don't feel a connection with. It's easy to doubt yourself, you know, because I've, here I am. I've done everything I can possibly do to be the best attorney possible to get to promotion level, but it doesn't depend on me. It depends largely on who likes me, who connects with me on a personal level. I don't play tennis. I don't play golf. I'm not a, a, a white dude you know, who likes to go to baseball events. I mean, I like it now because I can drink beer, but you know what I mean? It's, it really made me feel again, kind of how I felt at the beginning, like impotent and like I wasn't fully in control. And that, that brought back memories of self-doubt. And it was definitely interesting to learn how to navigate that process. That is so important. And I'm so glad you're sharing that. And Would you be able to share any learnings or advice from anyone, whether they're going to face that dynamic right now or in the future where they're they're going to realize, I'm going to have to cultivate relationships with these people whose background is different from me? What would you say to that person in their moment of hesitation and in their moment of thinking, you know, I can't connect with this person or what do I do? I think... What was a big eye opener for me was that when I stopped looking for somebody that looked like me, you know, 
I realized that there were people that I could cultivate those relationships with and that I did have a lot in common with and that I could learn from. So ironically, I think my biggest mentor and sponsor throughout my my senior years in my career was a, a white middle in his mid fifties dude from Michigan. Somebody that, you know, you would have, I would have looked at when I was a junior and thought like, I have nothing in common to this person. Like this person is not interested in me and cultivating me. Um, for whatever reason, we ended up working together a lot and he was an, he is an excellent attorney and, and he, he thought that I was too. So we connected in that professional level. And then as I got to know him on a personal level, I learned that he was also a self-made man. In fact, he used to drive a garbage truck right before going to law school. Um, so, so he was able to not only teach me professional skills, but teach me how to navigate being in this environment where most people are from a certain uh, background and we weren't. And if I had just focused on finding that senior Latina woman, which quite frankly, there's very few of them who are partners, I would have never benefited from from this mentorship and, and, and the learning that I have from this this person. That's so fascinating. Did that moment, like what was that moment like when that knowledge entered your brain of this person used to drive a garbage truck? I was shocked. I was shocked because th- this was a person you know, it all, that also took years, right? Like I want to highlight cultivating those relationships. I know now organizations love the whole like mentorship program. And I think it's great. I think we need them, but the truth is, and and, and I know this sounds like a cliche, those relationships have to be formed organically. I think the ones that truly make a difference just happen organically. And I think it just so happened that because we worked well together, he ended up staffing me a lot on his matters. So we ended up working together for like four years. But this was a person who had a corner office at a big law firm in New York City who lived in a million dollar apartment in Park Avenue. So to just like be chatting after a call with a client and find out about his background and and him having driven a garbage truck was fascinating. I was so grateful he shared that with me. I I was shocked. It just really was an eye opener that just because somebody seems a certain way or exudes a certain level of comfort, you never really know what their journey has been or how long it's taken them to build that confidence and build those skills. So it kind of made me feel hopeful for myself, you know, that, you know, I may not feel a hundred percent like I have it yet, but it's a, it's a process and, and I just have to be patient, you know? I think what you're saying speaks also to like patience and open-mindedness. And I think they go together. And I think that's such a good example of that. And you hit on something that I think is so valuable and I think is gold for anyone listening, which is that 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 professional relationship developed organically. And I talk a lot on the show about authenticity. And I can speak to my own experience where um, in my career, especially in my early career, it's gotten easier and easier as time went on. But it's been hard for me to just show up as myself. And I think I've made myself like more vanilla or tried to behave the way I thought. And some of that was kind of like work cultural forces that I think kind of push women to be in a range of, you know, behavior and acting that makes people feel comfortable and is yes. like not too weird and all that stuff. And I think that there's this element of the more you're authentic and the more you can really show your humanity, your traits, you, the same you that your friends see, the same you that other people see, the, the you that people know and love, that kind of sparks the best professional connections. Has that been your experience? 
Oh, a hundred percent. I I'm laughing inside because I remember one of the things I told the same person was, I feel like part of my job is acting, you know, I'm an attorney, but I felt like every single morning when I got to work, I was putting on corporate law Leo, which is so far removed from the Leo that I was, you know, throughout the years for better or worse, it's become part of who I am too. But not only, like you said, it kind of gets in the way of people truly seeing who you are. It's also exhausting. It's exhausting to be in a, in a very stressful job where you're working 14-hour days and with demanding clients, demanding tasks, and also have to constantly be putting on a show, for, for lack of a better word. So as I gained that confidence that came from honing my skills, I decided that in order to be able to be the best attorney that I could be, I had to focus my energy on that and I had to stop acting so much. And, you know, that was good for me. It was what I had to do. Uh, clients loved it. I'm not going to say everybody in management loved it, but I think it's important to just, like you said, once you feel you're ready, or even from the beginning, quite frankly, just be who you are. Don't try to please people. Why are we doing this? I mean, it's already so hard to come in as a woman, you know? And on top of that, we have to allocate energy to make people comfortable. I don't think men go around thinking to themselves, how can I make these people more comfortable around me, you know? So we're putting ourselves even at a further disadvantage than we already are by doing that. It's challenging, you know? But I really think I, in the end, I'm happy I stopped I stopped doing this. It, even if, even if it, it resulted in me not getting to certain places that I would have gotten if I had continued to play the politics game, you know? It's so true. And there's a ridiculous amount of empowerment in sort of shifting your behavior away from this. It's it, like there's the people pleasing element, which you're hitting on. And then there's also this other element of, well, I want professional success. And so therefore, I'm kind of doing this risk management exercise and all of my personal choices of how I show up. And I think for me, the minute I, I had like the light bulb moment of, holy cow, I don't have to do those risk management exercises. Like I can just say this thing and show up. And if that implodes my career or these people think I'm weird or they hate me, you know what? It won't be, it'll have some annoying consequences that I'll have to deal with. But the liberation from saying, I'm just not going to come at this from a place of fear is huge. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think, I think it's just honestly a waste, a complete waste of time. I mean, for me, it was challenging and it took years again to get to that place because as I mentioned before, I, I come from a very, very uh, humble background. So I really have no safety net in, in terms of financial safety nets. I, my, my employment, my work is my safety net. I am the primary breadwinner also in, in my current family with my husband and my children. So that risk assessment, I'm not going to lie, it's not something I was able to fully give up because I can't just be like, you know what, this institution has values that don't align with mine. I'm going to quit and I'm going to figure it out. So so that can be challenging and it can be exhausting. And at times you, you can feel even disappointed at yourself when you you have to make certain choices because because you have to get that that next paycheck. But I think for me, it's been good to, to remind myself, I, I do add value. I can't just storm out of this company today, but 
you know what, if certain things don't change and those things are crucial to me, then I'm going to start looking for a different place and, and I'll move on. And it's a journey. I, I love that we're in a generation where you don't have to just be like 50 years at a company. You know, there's so, luckily there's so many options. We're very privileged that we went to the schools that we went to and we are eligible to get those jobs. I know that I'm, I'm speaking now from a place of privilege, but you know, we have this privilege. Let's use it. Let's not conform. Let's, let's stand up for what's important to us, you know? And that leads so well into assertiveness, which is also a topic that I love talking about. And we've gotten into it a little bit, but maybe you can speak to some of kind of the pain or the frictions that you felt internally as you started showing up more direct, more yourself, more in that direct way that actually furthers your career where you realize, oh, when I drop this people pleasing, my effectiveness is going to go up. That has been challenging for me because in the law firm world, because we're a client service industry, there's outward pleasing, so pleasing your clients, and then there's internal pleasing so that you can get that partner counsel title. I was very fortunate that my clients, I think, realized that when I was genuine, I was able to provide the best representation that they needed and wanted. So in that sense, when I stripped the people pleasing and just was assertive and was and, and displayed my tough negotiation skills, or you know, a client comes to you and says they want I want to do X, and you you are comfortable in telling them you can't do X, but maybe we can do Y, which can get you close to the result you would have had with X. Um, it felt great. It just felt great to be able to do that. But it was difficult at the same time to to be to feel so successful with your clients and internally in, in certain institutions feel like the display of who you truly was, which is not that well received or seems like you're rocking the boat. Luckily, because we are a client and service industry, right? If your clients are happy for the most part, law firms have to have to put up with you, but it can be exhausting. It can be a little demoralizing to feel like, hey, I, hey, I'm doing so well. I'm keeping clients happy. I'm working all the time. Junior people love working with me. Why are you so uncomfortable with, with me being assertive? I, I just went through a very tough but educational experience in this field um, at, at the place I used to work at. I mean, the least that I was told was, you have to be less assertive. You have to be more, more subtle about wanting to get promoted. And that was a real eye-opener for me because, you know, whereas maybe when I was junior, I would have been like, oh my God, did I upset this person? What did I do? I, I just looked at the person and I was like, were you ever told to be more subtle when you wanted to be promoted last year? You might not be shocked to learn that I was speaking to a man. And I was like, no, I don't have to be more subtle. Why? Why to make you comfortable? I've earned this. I'm going to say it, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's so wild that you're using the word subtle because I, I've been working on this personal essay about like letting go of being nice. And as part of that, I looked up the definition of nice and I was reading the synonyms of nice because I, I was exploring the word nice because nice is not not the same as respectful. It's not the same as collaborative. It's not the same as open-minded. And like the definition of nice that like really I just couldn't stop thinking about was subtle. So subtle is one of the definitions of nice. And it's just 
it's so interesting because subtle means you're not really noticed. Exactly. And yeah, it's just like, okay, so in me stepping up into leadership and in me essentially saying I want to take on more and I want to have greater impact, you're telling me that I need to make myself less noticeable. That's the exact opposite of what it means to be a leader. A leader requires visibility. It requires action. And it does require a person to be able to advocate not only for what they want, but for what's best for the organization. And subtlety is not a very effective way to get there. And it's just so fascinating to me, like this language around it and all of this language is just so attached to women from what I have seen and experienced. And just this idea of being told to be more subtle and having to put on this mask of being nice, it it infuriates me. <laughs> it me too. I mean, you have no idea. I remember clearly, uh, and this th- this particular instance was actually with the person I, I mentioned earlier was uh, my mentor. Um, luckily, we had a relationship where I was able to tell him never say this to me again, but we were in a big meeting uh, for a big, big matter. The clients had come on site. It was, let's say that there were about 20 people in a conference room um, at that section that I had been working on for four years. And at that point was pretty much leading. And as I went outside the conference room to get a specific file, the person says to me, you know, smile a little more. Oh, And I was Obviously, in the moment with the client in the room, unfortunately, you do have to give that smile and move on. But later on, I, I, I told this person, please do not ask me to smile. My, I'm not paid to smile. I am courteous. I am respectful. I am polite. I don't have to smile. I'm not here to make jokes. I'm not here to make people comfortable. We're in a negotiation, a quite contentious negotiation. I, I don't see what what's, what's prompting me here to smile. But there's so many instances like that, right? Every single day. And I don't know about you, but even when you you know for a fact that this is wrong and this has to change, it, it, it can get very exhausting to, to every single day. And that's, that's, you know, law firms always, I don't in your industry how it is, but law firms are so focused, at least in, in their rhetoric, right? And in their brochures about how we can increase the presence of women. How can we retain women? Why do women leave before they get to senior positions? I truly believe that a big part of it is is that it's just exhausting. It's exhausting to constantly have every day feels like a small battle. And again, in the same way that I was mentioning that putting on this facade of pleasing, it's all these extraneous things that have nothing to do with your actual job and the actual skills that are needed for you to be good at your job that you have to also deal with, that your male colleagues don't have to deal with. And, and, and quite frankly, I can understand why someone who doesn't need to be at a big law firm and make that kind of money would just be like, you know what, I don't have to put up with this anymore. And then they leave. And that's how we continue the pattern. And it's very challenging. Yeah. And the other thing that I've been thinking about around this, too, is sort of when you are putting on that facade and that fake, it's because it's a fake smile, right? Like, that's not real. It's sort of like, you are literally blocking the opportunity to potentially access that from a real place and potentially walk into that room with a smile that represents your you actually being joyful to be there and excited to be there and confident. And that's what breaks my heart the most because you need to let go of all the garbage, like fake stuff 
to get to this place where you are truly bringing what I think is your brilliance and what I think are the things about you that make you a leader and that make you magnetic as a leader. And it's like that advice that people are giving is literally like pushing the stop button on all of the good things that maybe aren't happening in that moment, but have the potential to grow. And I think you know, that's one of the reasons I started the show. And that was like a root of my frustration, which was that, okay, I'm being given this advice to try to help me like do this thing. But all of this advice is actually like closing off or like shutting down the thing in me that literally has more potential than anything else. And I was like, that can't be right. Like this can't be the way for women to move forward. No, I, I feel what you've said just resonates with me so much. Um, because at the end of the day, it can get to a place where if it goes on too long, you just don't, you just don't want to give it your all. You know, it's like, why would I give all of my efforts at a place where I have to be someone else? Yeah, I don't know how you dealt with it. But for me, I just felt like I had to speak up and I had to say what I had to say. Luckily enough, it worked out. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it later. I, ironically, not at this particular organization. But thanks to these experiences, I was able to get to the next step, which is where I always thought I or I hoped I would end up. So, so no, I totally understand what you're saying. It's also so, it's also so hard, right. To see others who, who are okay with playing that game, right. Who are okay with conforming to what they're told women should be in the workforce. I mean, to give you an example, and and I don't know if you're going to edit this or not, but, um, this is verbatim what I was told once, um, we were in a meeting with a senior partner and another fellow senior associate like me. And she says, Oh yeah, we're so-and-so's bitches. So-and-so being meaning the boss. Like, you know, she was comfortable just like playing that game. Oh yeah. I'm so-and-so's bitches. And like making those, you know, dirty jokes and playing that game. And I'm just like, why? I, I, first of all, this is incredibly unprofessional. Second of all, this is a price I don't want to (laughs) pay to get to wherever it is that we're supposed to be getting. But I saw this daily, daily, or recently a friend of mine told me, what did she say? She said, oh, you know, you have to dress a little bit sexier to get ahead. And I'm like, but why? No, like men are in their pants and their suits and they're comfortable. I I don't have to dress sexy. That's not me. I mean, to clarify, if, if, if you are a sexy woman and that's your thing and your style, you feel confident like that. Great. Go for it. But I don't think it's right to tell us that we have to dress a certain way and put up a certain amount of makeup and laugh at certain jokes and be subtle. I just, that's, that's, I guess that's the point, right? Like we should be allowed to be who we are because that's what men get. They don't have to play a role. So we shouldn't have to either. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, we've had a lot of parallel experiences and it's interesting because I think a lot of my experiences that resonate with yours was when I was in professional services, which I think does have a little bit more of a traditional kind of setting versus um, I felt a lot more comfortable, to be fully honest, in corporate settings. And I've been a, a lot, you know, it just feels a lot more like it jives with who I am. 
But the thing about being told what to wear is like, okay, first of all, here's how you should dress. You should dress exactly how you want to dress and exactly what makes you happy and what makes you smile inside. Like that's how you should dress and it shouldn't even be a discussion. And I I remember I was enrolled in kind of like this women's leadership program that was supposed to help women become leaders. And one of the components of it was a seminar on how to dress and you know, oh my God. I, I, I want to caveat this with saying, like, I think that fashion is art. I love clothes. I love shopping. Like, Same. I love it. It makes me very happy. But I felt so small. That made me feel so small. And it, it's sort of like, well, hold on. I'm, I'm being paid a good amount of money by my company for my brain. And exactly. so if you're going to sharpen me, you should be sharpening my brain. Why are you sharpening my clothes? You know, and Maybe, you know, I don't want to like judge because I've totally have experiences where I've bought a new outfit and I've, I've felt amazing and confident and that's a beautiful experience. But I guess my question is like, why aren't men taking the here's how you should dress thing? And oh my gosh, there was like stuff in it on how to dress for your body type, which like don't, don't even get me started. We'll oh be talking God. for 17 hours. It was highly problematic in so many ways. And I just feel like, things like that and sort of like the smile and the wear this and all that stuff, it not only makes people feel less than and it not only devalues what they're there to do, but it puts the attention in the wrong place, right? Like you are this brilliant person who has so much to bring. You know, I'm not like deeply familiar with what you do, but you probably work on insanely complicated agreements that are so many pages long that require this deep expertise that you've honed over the years. And the what you're getting from people to try to help you be better at that is that you need to fake smile and dress this it's like it's so it's so unacceptable it really is it it, it really is infuriating and like you said demoralizing because it makes you feel like you're not fully a person you're not fully you they want to mold you into something that makes them feel comfortable and that is that is alarming in this day and age, right? Where it's 2020 and here we are. It's, yeah, it's fascinating to me. For sure. And I don't know about you, but it's sort of like, I want to get better at my craft. I want you to tell me how to be a better, you know, I do strategy. I want you to tell me how to be a better strategist. I bet you want to know from them, how do I sharpen my negotiation skills? Like, how do I really show up in this room and advocate for my client in an even better way? Like, I'm hungry for that. And I'm not hungry for random garbage advice on how long my hair should be or, you know, exactly how I should sound or look in this setting. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, another example that, I mean, it has nothing to do with clothes, but just to show you the the discrepancy in treatments is, I remember when I started managing people, we had a specific situation where the person I was managing were in the middle of a crazy, you know, cross-border closing. Um, the closing was in Europe. We were in the U.S. We were up until 5 a.m. It was nuts. It was nuts. Unfortunately, the person completely dropped the ball. They had told me they had done something. And at 5 a.m., it, was, it came to light that that had not happened. And I told the person that that was unacceptable in a very stern way. I mean, I did not scream. I did not. I was not unprofessional, but I did say this is unacceptable. I am highly disappointed and this is not okay. I was told by the firm that I had to take a course in management skills because I was too tough with this person. 
and that I should view that as an investment because then when I said, wait a minute, I am, I was more respectful to this person than I am on a daily basis, than the people above me who are men and some women are on a daily basis. Like I've been yelled at, I've been told, you know, expletives and, and you're told that that's part of the job, right? But here I am telling somebody who lied, who dropped the ball, that that was unacceptable. And I have to take a management course. I, I, and I, I, I raised my voice. I was like, I think, I think this is a double standard. And the firm told me that I should view this as an investment in me, that if they didn't value me, they wouldn't pay for this coach. So it, 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 on the top of the fact that you, it's, it's your mind blown that they're telling you this, right? They're also making you feel like your discomfort is not real. Like this is all in your head. Like, why, why are you viewing it this way? Of course, it's not unacceptable. We, here, we just want to teach you how to be better. See, but better at what? You know, like you said, better at being a manager, an attorney, because to me, if I drop the ball, I, I want to be told and I have been told. But yeah, just like this, I have so many anecdotes that I can tell you. I think it's important though. I started realizing for me, at least it was important to accept that my concerns were not fake. They were very valid. And just try to take advantage of the situation, right? Like, do I did I think at that moment I needed a course in management skills? No. Was it good to have a free coach to come teach me management skills? Yeah, great. And ironically, when the person arrived, the coach was a woman, and I told her the situation, and she was like, "This is complete BS. This is because you're a woman." But let's make the most out of it. And I did end up learning a lot. So it's a fine line, right? You also can't let anger get in your way. I had to realize, okay, I am in a situation though, where this is infuriating, but somebody is putting resources for me to, to learn something. And I'm going to try to make the best of it for me. Yeah. I think the thing with anger is sort of like, it's so horrible to tell someone that they shouldn't be angry or to deny someone's anger. I think when anger is present, it needs to be present. It's like trying to push it down is useless. And then it's all it's all about like how do you alchemize that anger into the thing that you want because i know at least for me anger does not lead me to my best performance so while i have to acknowledge that it's present i also need to understand that i'm not going to not going to have the impact that i want while i'm in that state so i want to try to move out of that state so that i can move into the state where i'm going to create the result that I want from the problem that made me angry in the first place. But it is a hard thing to do. And I think it's so important for women to have permission to feel their anger, you know, and I, I've been thinking about this a lot and sort of like the best mentorship and advice around difficult people in the workplace and how to show up in these situations. And it's like, you have to walk this line, in my opinion, between processing things and maybe you're not processing at work, but, but finding a healthy way to process, a safe place to process, and then being really strategic about what you want to do and how you want to take what's around you and what feels best for you to navigate that. And I think that that requires like so much maturity so much emotional intelligence. It's very hard to do. No one should have to do it. But when that is the reality, it's sort of like what you were saying of like, okay, well, what am I going to do with this? And I guess like looking back, do you feel happy that you kind of just, that you were like, okay, you know what? I, I don't agree with what caused this, but I'm going to work with this person and I'm going to see what happens here. I am happy about it. I am happy about it. You know, to be quite honest, I don't think at the moment I felt like I had a choice. 
I didn't feel like I could be like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not going to take this course and fire me if you want because I, I needed my, my income. But I did learn from it and I developed a relationship with that coach. And, and it was, you know what, even just having stepped into the first meeting and telling her why I was there and hearing from someone else who was a professional in that field that my suspicions were true, that I was there because I was a woman, that alone was worth it. Because like you said, it, it allowed me, it gave me permission, right? And how crazy is it that we have to get permission? It gave me permission to, to be upset about the situation. It, it validated how I was feeling. And, and so in that sense, yes, I'm happy. I'm happy that I did it. I think, you know, for me, at least my, my approach in life has always been any learning opportunity is, is a good opportunity. Sometimes they're tough. Sometimes they're unwelcome. Sometimes they're great. But at the end of the day, I don't think I regret a single experience that I've had in my professional journey. Not not one, really. It's it's just fascinating to hear these things. And it's also fascinating how universal some of this stuff is, even if the exact same situations aren't the same. I think there are probably a lot of people listening who will relate to that. And I wanted to kind of get your advice or what you would say to someone who who walks into a room feeling small or who feels small around a specific coworker or just who has these situations where they almost feel like their confidence becomes debilitated. I guess through all these experiences, what has worked for you? What have you learned? That's a great question. Um, I think I think when I feel small or I feel not confident. I ask myself, why do I feel this way? For example, when I was a more junior associate, I felt that way because I didn't fully understand the subject matter. And then the next step, right, is to ask yourself, well, is it okay that I don't know the subject matter? Like in that in that instance, would another attorney with my same experience know more than me right now? And the answer, of course, is no. And then I think that you realize that, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I shouldn't feel small. I should just acknowledge that I have a learning curve to master and I'll put in all the work that is necessary to master it. And then I won't feel small. There are other situations, right? Where you ask yourself the same question and you realize that you feel small, not because you don't have the knowledge that you need in that particular time, but just because, you know, you don't fit a specific mold. And then I think those are the tougher circumstances because then you have to ask yourself, well, do I want this bad enough to change myself in a fundamental way to fit this mold? Or do I need to put in the efforts to see if I can change this mold? Is it, is it even possible to change this? Or do I just need to calmly start thinking about next steps and thinking about, okay, well, is it time for me to move on? Is it time for me to find a place that's more aligned with what I believe? So I think what has worked for me in summary is to always focus on myself, like focus on why am I feeling this way and what can I do about it? I think it's, it's very easy to start comparing yourself to others or, you know, I can think of this particular person at work, the, the same woman I have mentioned made, made the comment about uh, so-and-so's bitches. You know, there were times where I would think to myself, I wish I could be like her. Like, you know, I obviously not because I think that that's the way to be, but because I'm sure her experience is so much easier than mine in certain ways, you know, because she has, she can't play the politics game and she fits into the mold. And there were days where I was like, oh my God, I wish I could just do that. Like, I wish I could just do it. But 
I think you have to also be true to yourself and, and accept if you can't be that person. And it's, I think every single day is an opportunity to learn, to reassess whether you're at the right place, to pick your battles and, and decide where you're going to put your energy. You know, I, I can also tell you very much that what I put my energy into has shifted throughout the years. About five years ago, um, I had a daughter, my, my, my first kid, and that really changed things for me because it made me realize that I, I do have somebody coming behind me. I do have somebody who's watching me at all times. And what is the example that I want to give to her? And this may sound grandiose, but you know, even if I knew every single day going into the law firm that I wasn't going to change fundamentally during my career there, the culture of the law firm, I do think that every single little battle helps to eventually hopefully sooner rather than later, make a change. And so that changed things for me. I think that made me feel more convicted in actually fighting the battles, raising my voice and not focusing only on getting the promotion, but getting it the, the, the way that feels right to me and in a way that I can be proud of, you know? Mm. Yeah. And it, it's, it was so interesting to hear you say, oh, like, what if I was like the person who just felt more comfortable, just totally gaming the system and the culture rather than sometimes pushing against it. And it's so interesting because my belief is sort of like that that part of you is potentially inseparable from the part of you that will do the greatest things that you ever do professionally. And so it's like, maybe that part of you will like say something at some point, like a bit confrontational to a client that someone else wouldn't have said, and maybe that'll change things for them. And it's just sort of like this kernel within you that is part of what makes you talented and is part of a unique gift that you have. And it's my view is you can't, you, you either turn it all off or you turn it all on. Like this exercise of trying to turn off some pieces of ourselves and turn on others, it dulls everything. It's like, if you just come back to the core of what is you and what is true for you and how you want to be in the world, that will be your best career path, even if there are times when you aren't perfectly, quote unquote, like gaming the system. I think you, you've said it perfectly. That, that for me has been absolutely true. Absolutely true. And we're going to quickly hit on a couple more topics before we start getting into the wrap-up question. So the first one is just self-criticism. I want to hear thoughts, experiences, advice, whatever comes comes to mind first for you. Oh my God, that's such a tough one because I am my toughest critic in everything. Like from the way I look, you know, we're women from the way we, we look, my weight, you know, my skills, you know, the way I speak, how I'm perceived. I think there's value to self-criticism. Um, I think I think it's important to to strive to be better every single day. At the same time, something I've learned in being uh, in a male-dominated industry and, and like I said, giving myself the opportunity to let this man be my mentor is that women really try. And I think there's been studies about this, right? Like I think there's a statistic that women try to fit every single skill that is listed in a job description before they apply. And I think men don't, I, there's a specific percentage. I don't have it, but you know, I think I've seen that in real life. Like I've seen women and myself included, just like I said, I needed to feel confident. I needed to feel like I was a subject matter expert where 
I've seen men who clearly are not subject matter experts who are just beginning their career, just challenge you. And rather than take offense to that, I've self-criticized and, and thought to myself, well, am I, am I cutting myself short by being such a perfectionist, by constantly self-criticizing myself? So yeah, I think it's important to, again, it goes back right to the, to the sense of, of feeling small insecurity. It's like, is your self-criticism based in reality or is it based on what you've been told you need to be? And I think once you find the answer to that question, it is much more easier to deal with it. That's so helpful. And on a similar thread, I wanted to get your advice to anyone who is on that self-critical train and has a hard time seeing their gifts and has a hard time like truly like clearing the fog from their glasses and like seeing how talented they are. What would you advise someone in that situation or what would you want them to know? I think something that I started doing that really has worked for me is think about the the situation that you're in, right? Whatever it may be, like you're in a meeting and you don't know if you should speak or not, or you feel small, whatever. And imagine that the person that's in the situation is someone you care about deeply who's not you. It can be your sister, your brother, even your best friend, your, your best male colleague. And ask yourself, what advice would you give them? You know, what would you tell them? Because I think it's, it's very easy. And I see this when I have chats with my girlfriends all the time, right? I'm sure you do too. It's so easy to view a situation that someone else is living so clearly, but then you can go through the exact same situation and, and, and have a completely different reaction. So for me, kind of detaching a little bit from the situation really helps to, to give myself the strength and the voice and be like, well, you know, if I would tell this person that I care about this, why wouldn't I do the same thing? I should love myself just as much as I love the people around me. Um, that for me has been a journey and I'm not going to lie. I didn't get to that, to that place again until I had my, my daughter, uh, my son too, of course, but my daughter was my, my first kid. And she was born actually uh, in 2015. And I remember taking her, I'm digressing a bit, but this was very telling for me because I remember taking her to vote in 2016. I mean, I voted for Hillary, obviously. And I thought, oh my God, like, I just felt so big. Like here I have a daughter and like, finally we're going to have like a woman president and this is all so major. And then it felt like such a defeat, you know, it's like, oh my God, no, I brought her in this world of more of the same. But, but that I think helped me also to take that cloak off insecurity off and tell myself, well, the change has to come from within each of us. Like we hold the power, uh, you know, I think there's a famous quote, I believe it's attributed to Eleanor Roosevelt, like no one can make you feel small without your consent. And that has always really, really resonated with me. Um, no one can, no one can do it. It's all within you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That just thinking about the election brings up so, so many feelings and so many things and the, yeah, the no one can make you feel small without your consent is is fascinating because it is so fantastic to get to the point where you can embody that and you can truly let go of the strong pull towards self-criticism when something comes at you that makes you question yourself. And then I would also say to people who are still in the space of like, well, this person is making me feel small is like, be so gentle with yourself and so kind to yourself and just so 
curious and soft with what's happening because it is a natural human experience to feel crappy. It is such a natural human experience to have something happen and like go down a spiral and feel worried and ashamed. And I just want to normalize that and and tell anyone who's in that space of feeling really small that it's actually in my view, your choice of how you move through that smallness and how much you continue to be loyal to yourself through that struggle that will set you up for it the next time and the next time and the next time for it to get a little bit easier for you to really see the truth versus to fall into that, you know, into that hole of I'm so broken. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, not to go back to my daughter, but like you said, having an actual person with me, who sees me through her eyes and who is emulating everything I do has really taught me how to, how to love myself, you know, for myself and for her. Yeah. I think it's so important. And, you know, obviously in some of these professional spaces, people don't talk about self-love and it's so interesting because it really is one of the most important ways to grow. It's one of the most important ways to shine as a professional And that's why I love having this platform to be able to talk about professional development and talk about what it actually means to love yourself and to love other women. Because also, in my view, it's like love is just love and it can land anywhere. So like once you learn how to love, it's it's easier to love yourself. It's easier to love other people. It's just easier to do all of these things. And it's so wonderful and like refreshing and beautiful to hear how the experience of having your daughter just shifted your perspective and put you into that new space. Thank you for sharing that. And before we move into some of the wrap-up questions, this is totally up to you, but is there anything you want to plug? Do you want to share where people can get in touch? It's you can you can if you want to, you don't have to. Yes, no, I I actually love I love mentoring. I I'm not just saying that. It's precisely because when I got into this profession, I like I said I felt like there were so few people that I could have as mentors. It's something I've been very committed to. So, you know, anybody who wants to connect with me and be it male or female, I think first of all you can find me easily on LinkedIn. Um friend I don't know if friendly is the word, but connect with me. Send me a message. My email is my first name dot full last name at gmail.com. So that's leonela.bacaropadron at gmail.com. Email me whenever. Um, look me up on Facebook. Uh, you, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm very approachable. I, I really am. Um, and I, I, I really am committed to, to making an impact and changing this, at least in the, in the legal profession. So I invite anybody who, who wants to, to, to send me a message to connect with me. And, and I, I'm sure that we can do amazing things together. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being so open to that. And now I'm going to ask you a couple of fun questions, and then we're going to go into the closing questions. So for the first of the fun questions, this is on the theme of gratitude. So I was going to ask you to share one thing that you feel grateful for in your career. Honestly, I'm just grateful to have been able to be in that world. I know that may sound surprising, right? Because we've been talking so much about how tough it is and, and how much you have to sacrifice and, and, and conform yourself. But it really is a privilege to be in that world and to make that kind of money. I mean, you know, let's talk money. Women don't talk money enough. Like to make that kind of money, to support my family in Puerto Rico, to support my kids, you know, our life. And, and quite frankly, as, as difficult as it is in the, in the corporate culture level, 
the, the learning opportunities I've had have been incredible. Like, you know, there's so many trainings, so many trips for deals and trainings. You know, I've even been to South Korea for a negotiation. You know, I've met so many brilliant people. You actually, I am more grateful than ever because the job that I am going to after this is actually to a company client. So I wouldn't even have gotten this opportunity were, were not for being at the law firm. So I'm just grateful that, that I did it, that I stuck it out, you know, that life aligned itself and, and gave me this opportunity, you know, it's tough, but I think sometimes you learn the most from tough experiences. I love that. And the next one is on the theme of fear. And I've been asking everyone to share either one thing they're still afraid of or their best advice for managing fear. I'm afraid of failure. And I know that probably a lot of people say that, but you know, I really do come, I really do come from like absolutely nothing. Like I know how it is to look at your bank account and have $20 and think to yourself, like, what am I going to do? And so that is always in the back of my mind, especially now that I have kids and, and, and a family to provide for, you know, in a way coming from that background made me an incredibly resilient person. And I don't think I, I, I don't know, but I, feel like a lot of what I've accomplished is because I had to, you know, but at the same time, I don't ever want to be in that situation again. You know, I, I know that I worked hard, but I know I'm also very privileged to not be in the situation anymore. And so I fear a lot, you know, for example, in the pandemic times that we're living in, you know, I don't, I don't have a home to go to. I don't have parents to ask for help if I'm furloughed or if I'm fired. And so that's definitely a fear that I think I'll carry with me for a long, long time. Um, and it's good in the sense that it's part of the fuel that keeps me going. But, um, you know, some days you, you kind of wish that you, you did have a little bit of a safety net and, and that that fear wasn't there. So it's just managing it every single day, you know. And to go back to something you said earlier, kind of like about that upward mobility and making a lot of money. I think it's so important for women to own the desire to want to make good money. And I think that can be very hard and difficult. And it's truly one of the stops on the road to confidence and empowerment is saying, I want this and it's okay that I want this. And because it's okay, now I'm going to go after it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I find it surprising that like women don't talk about you know, how much have you saved? You know, how much is it normal for a 33-year-old with two kids uh, who had to, you know, take student loans to go to law school to have saved? You know, I think knowledge is, is power and um, money is power. And, uh, you know, anybody who tells you otherwise is simply lying or has money, you know, like that's mm -hmm. the truth. So I think a big component of, of, of this confidence, like you said, is also um, this is a whole other topic, but I also find it fascinating, like financial education for women. You know, in fact, last last May, I worked to bring to my firm an organization that brings Latina female attorneys together. But the topic of this particular conference was uh, financial education for women. And it, it's surprising to see so many, you know, women who probably would fall within the top 1% who know so little about finance and what to do with our money. So, so I agree, you know, I, I have a guilty pleasure. I like to read US Weekly, <laughs> but I saw a quote this week that 
really resonated with me. Uh, you know, it said something about Ellen Pompeo, the actress of Grace Anatomy, and her quote was, screw art, I'm like kind of paraphrasing, but she was like, screw making, uh, you know, artistically fulfilling content, pay me my money. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. Like, there's no shame in just wanting financial stability. And it's funny, we're talking about this because I had to write my farewell email yesterday for the firm. And one of the things I said was, you know, that I went to law school thinking that I would get a cushy firm job for two to three years, pay off my student debt, and then find out my passion. Our generation is so focused on passion. And then, you know, that didn't happen. I had kids, I had responsibilities, and my passion truly became having financial stability and never going back to how I grew up and never fearing where am I going to eat from. And that's okay. That's okay. Oh, more than okay. And I don't know if you want to speak to anyone that has loans or that is paying off loans. I finished law school with that same heavy, heavy financial and emotional and mental burden. And when you're in it, for me, it felt so crushing. (laughs) So if there's anything you want to share about someone who's still in the phase of I'm being crushed by this. Yeah. Well, I actually, I'm not done paying off my loans and I'm not shy about saying that, you know, like I said, you know, I had my daughter when I was just, I got pregnant with my first kid when I was just a second year associate. So, you know, I had all these plans and that didn't happen. Um, I had to make peace with that. And I think the best advice I can give is if you, if there's any possibility at all of you doing your due diligence before you even take those loans, do it. Think about it really, really hard. Like it's not 2005 anymore. It's not like, oh, I'm going to go to law school and I'm going to go to a firm for sure. And I'm going to make this money. Like that is not true anymore. And so it is a very, very big decision. You know, if you're already in it and you have to do it or you decided that it's the, the right path for you, I think it's important to not compare yourself. You know, for example, like I, I do have a lot of friends who had loans too, but don't have kids yet and who are in relationships or marriages where both people make more or less the same. They don't have kids. And Sometimes it is hard to compare yourself to those people and think to yourself, oh my God, here I am still paying off my loans. But I think, again, it goes back to like focusing on you and your journey. And, you know, I have a budget and I'm very diligent about paying them on time. I think another important thing to remember, um, and this goes a little bit into financial advice, but I think it's important, you know, I hear so many people focus on... I'm going to put all my extra money in paying off my loans. Like that's what I have to do. And I'm very interested in this topic. And there's a lot of financial advice out there about how that's not necessarily the best or smartest thing to do. I remember reading a fascinating article about comparing, you know, with a financial model, uh, how much money a person would have at age 50, let's say, if they had put all of their extra cash into paying off their loans and then started saving versus putting some of that extra cash, let's say in their 401k or saving for a down payment. And the difference in how much money the person that took a little bit of the extra cash to invest in what in, in a safe and in, in smart investment was hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that's another thing I would say, like, yes, it's, it's dead and it's crippling, but not all debt is bad. And if you have the means to pay it and still invest a little bit, Try to find ways to educate yourself. Like, you know, there's all these companies now like SoFi. I love SoFi. I refinance my loans with SoFi. And now they're like a full service company. And that, for example, if you've refinanced your loans with them, they let you have an investment account with them for no management fees. 
So there's all these services out there and you don't have to spend thousands of money to get a financial advisor to kind of guide you a little bit. So that's what that I think that's one a very important uh, advice for people to hear. Mm, yes, thank you for sharing that. And now it's time for my favorite part of the interview, which is the closing questions. And the first one is a career advice question. And I wanted you to share just one thing that you would advise to someone who wants to take control of moving their career forward, one thing that they could begin to start doing. I would say hone your craft. The person that I've been mentioning that was my mentor gave me this advice and it it really proved so true. It's like you have to make yourself valuable because when you hone your craft and you're valuable, you have the power to go wherever you want. Meaning that if where you're at doesn't reward you the way that you want, you can feel confident that you can go somewhere where they will. So I think the best way to take control is to become the best at what you're doing. I can't tell you how many times I've worked with junior associates who have told me, I'm not going to be, I don't want to be a partner at a law firm. I'm only going to be here one or two years in the context of, I don't need to put my all in it. And I, I'm going to admit, I have the same mentality when I started. I really did. But then I, I really realized that it is an opportunity for you to grow. It's not about you being a partner at a firm. It's about you becoming an expert in what you're doing. And that will be very powerful in opening many doors for you moving forward. And you never know where your opportunity is going to come from. For example, yes, I'm not going to be a partner at this particular firm, but because of how good of an associate I've been and because I decided to, until I found a better alternative, I am going to give my 150% in this track. Now I'm able to go to a client and have a job that I want. So just be open-minded and and just give it your best. And I think you're speaking to something so important, which is that, you know, when you say, oh, the people were thinking they don't want to be a partner, so they don't have to give it their all. Becoming a leader doesn't have that much to do with how far up you're going to move in your current company. It's a mindset and it's a way of approaching the world and seeing yourself and your brain and you as this enormous source of value and constantly fortifying it and sharpening it. And that will lead you to something at some point that you are meant to do or that you will do really well. And so it's sort of, I love that because it speaks to getting out of this very short-term mindset and into this mindset of you're building yourself into someone who is capable of having the biggest impact possible. Totally agree. And the next question is about this theme that I've been exploring. And I love to think about how we have these big goals. It could be a goal like I want to be more confident or I want to pursue this greater thing. And something that I love so much is how sometimes these huge goals get created in tiny moments and we make a new choice or we do something different and it really starts to shift our sense of self. And so I've been asking every guest to share a tiny moment in their career that really represented a shift or a move in a new direction for them? I think, well, actually one that happened recently was I've always wanted to publish something. I don't know. It seemed like important to get published. And I tried in the past to send like personal essays to like the New York Times or whatever. And obviously like I, they never, they never published me. Not obviously, but it hasn't happened yet. I'm so hopeful. 
But recently during this whole pandemic, you know, at the beginning, there was less what we call billable work, so less client work. And so a way for a lot of people, law firms to stay relevant was to write thought pieces on how the pandemic was going to affect their respective practice areas. And, you know, whereas I always thought I would get published in like, you know, an artistic essay or something like that, I decided I'm going to try to, to write something about this because I, I, like I said, I, am, I feel like a subject matter expert and I do have some thoughts about how this is going to affect my practice area. And, and it, it ended up getting published, you know, it was published uh, in the firm's uh, website, it went out to clients. And that felt like, you know, it's not how I thought I would accomplish that grandiose goal of getting published, but I, I've accomplished it. So, so that felt good. I love that story. Thank you. And for the next question, it's about the title of the show. And I love to ask everyone what the art of speaking up means to them. I think for me, it just means saying what you really think needs to be said in the moment. And I know that may sound very vague, but it's, it, it, I don't know, you probably feel this way. It's so surprising how something so simple is sometimes so hard to do. So I think the art of speaking up, right? At first I thought, hmm, that probably refers to speaking up in a way that doesn't make people uncomfortable or, you know, fits the corporate mold or gets you your mold, like political. But then I thought, you know, right, the art is really to just be brave enough to say what you have to say in that moment, regardless of the reaction that you're going to get. I think speaking up is important for me and not so much for the response I'm going to get. And it took me a a while to learn that. And for the final question, which is literally my favorite question of the whole interview, this was inspired by what inspired the show. So I created the show for an earlier version of myself who was really struggling to feel confident. And I like to give this last space to the guests to just speak directly to the woman out there who is looking to feel better, looking to feel more empowered. So I'm going to turn it over to you to share whatever you would want the person who's listening on the other end to know. I want to tell everybody that you never know who is looking at you and you never know who views you as a role model. I said earlier that every day going into work for, felt like a tiny battle and it almost always felt like I, I was losing somehow. But yesterday I had a very, I think a moment that I will take with me forever. Um, when I sent my farewell email at the firm, I got so many responses from people above, beneath me, secretarial staff, you know, people I had never even met about how they had seen me across the halls or how, you know, they wish me the best or how they always thought that I was such a strong leader for the firm. Things that I, I strive to be, but oftentimes felt that I wasn't achieving. And in particular, if you allow me, there was one junior associate, she's literally a first year associate, who sent me such a thoughtful response to my farewell email. And it really touched me and it really made me feel like, you know what? It is worth it. Like there, the, these tiny victories, there are people looking and there is someone that I may be making a difference in. And she wrote this. She said, Leonela, congratulations on your new role. I have read your farewell email three times today, and I am still immensely touched and inspired by every word in there. Thank you for sharing your life journey and career story. I came to the U.S. for college and scholarship and financial aid myself. I felt much to relate and saw a path I can look up to. I feel fortunate to have had the opportunity of working with you. Even though a single network matter, I learned a great deal from your efficient and organized work style and tough negotiation skills. 
You are a true inspiration to female juniors, a power woman who excels at work, raises children, maintains a family, and still appears stylish and stunning. Although very sad about your departure, I am happy for your choices and your new venture. Hope all goes well with your new life and career. This was, I'm sorry I'm getting teary-eyed, but this was someone that I worked with like maybe 20 hours tops. And to have received an email like that, it just, it made me feel very validated. So it speaks to you and it's definitely (laughs) making me feel choked up. And I think, I think it also speaks to something we talked about earlier in the interview, which is seeing your gifts sometimes reflected back to you in ways that you couldn't see yourself. And it's just like so beautiful that you're able to sort of share your experience of that. I'm so glad that you read that. Thank you. And people might be curious what's next for you. So do you want to share? Yes. So I'm finally leaving big law. I'm going to be a senior legal counsel at a company called Grupo ACS, which is one of the biggest um, infrastructure developers and sponsors worldwide. I'll be focusing on projects that are carried out via public-private partnerships. Uh, So at the intersection of how governments leverage the the expertise and resources of private companies to develop public infrastructure work. So it's kind of going back full circle. You know, I majored in international relations. I'm fascinated by, by the topic of countries and how they make things happen and to be able to do that and and use my legal skills at the same time. Uh, I'm very excited about about this new journey. Wonderful. And I'll let you just sign off and just speak to anyone who is thinking, will I ever get to where she is in terms of speaking with so much fortitude and authenticity and confidence? Is there anything that you want to say to that person as you sign off and as we close out? You will. Listen, I'm not kidding. Yesterday, I had a FaceTime date with my girlfriends from high school. I adore them. I think they're the most confident people in the world. And one of the things I wanted to ask them was like, where do you get your confidence? Because I'm speaking in this podcast tomorrow and half of the time I feel like I'm still working on it. So it's crazy, right? And then they told me that's crazy because we look at you and we think you're so confident. So again, it's just, just know that it's not like it's not like one day you're gonna feel like oh here I am on top of the world I'm super confident it's just you're you do your best do, do what feels right and it's a journey you know it's a journey thank you so much for listening I was really deeply touched by this conversation there were a couple times where I got a little teary-eyed and I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did I felt really inspired by Leonella and her stories and just the strength that she gives off. And I'm so grateful that you had a chance to listen in on this conversation. I'm going to put her contact information below in case you'd like to reach out to her. And if you go down to the very bottom of the show notes, you will find a section called free resources where you will find my ebook, The Smart Ambitious Woman's Guide to Assertiveness in the Workplace. You'll find a link to join the private Facebook group if you want to meet some of the other women who listen to the show. And I will also put my contact information in the show notes in case you want to reach out. And I want to thank you for listening. I appreciate you being here. It is so wonderful to have you as part of this community, whether we've chatted and met online or not. I'm just thankful to be a little slice of your world. 
And with that, I'm going to sign off for this week. Thank you so much, Leonella, for coming on and sharing your voice and sharing your power with all of us. And to everyone listening, catch you next week. Bye.